0: Sweetness Means you meet me in the hallway Oh, on the pipe. Means you ain't gonna show Hello and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza and I am your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. And of course, welcome back to Horror Month, where I'm trying to cover as many horror movies this month as I can. And our movie today is a fun one. This is a uh, personal favorite of mine. We're going to be talking about the 2007 movie Vacancy, starring Luke Wilson and Kate Beckinsale, which is one of those movies uh, which, you know, the minute I saw it for the first time, I'm like... I'm going to do a podcast on that movie one day, just because it's so right up my alley. It's so my style of movie. It's just one of these fun, little, creepy, almost bloodless horror movies that just gets under your skin and you don't ever forget it. And uh, that's, uh, again, my type of horror movie in a nutshell. So my guest for this one, I have a fun one for you today. I'm bringing in a pro for this one with Horror Month. With Horror Month, I don't mess around. So, you know, a lot of times I just bring in my friends who I think would be fun to have on a podcast. No, not this time. This time I'm bringing on someone who does this kind of thing for a living. Uh, you may know him. I don't know if you know his name, but you may recognize him from TV. He's a senior writer at People Magazine. Uh, he's the host of a TV show called Murder Made Me Famous and also Scandal Made Me Famous. Both of those were on the Reels channel. Uh, he did those for something like seven seasons or something. So like, he has a lot of entertainment experience. A lot of I hate to say it, murder experience, <laughs> but perfect to have on for a podcast about horror movies. So welcome to Staff Picks for the first time, Steve Helling. Oh, this is
1: great. That was a great introduction. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Did I uh, kiss your butt enough? Did you appreciate that?
1: I mean, you can always do it more, but that that's a good start. Let's stay there.
0: <laughs> so before we get too far, uh, kind of give people a little background on who you are, how we wound up together on a podcast.
1: Yeah, so, yes, like you said, I'm a senior writer at People Magazine. I've been at People Magazine now for 22 years. It's been the only real job I've ever had. So, um, yeah, so so uh, I covered Survivor, and, of course, you were a Survivor fan, and I was a Survivor fan from the very beginning, and, you know, our paths crossed that way. And um, I think we even met at a Survivor finale, I think, um, I want to say – Second chance or something. We we met and we just became friends and I have always wanted to do a staff pick so uh, and this was the perfect one.
0: Yeah, Steve Steve and I go way back. We've uh emailed each other over the years, but yeah, you've never actually been on a podcast with me before, huh? I have not, which yeah, let's we we fixed that tonight. That's great. So vacancy. How did we end up with this movie? Because I know there's a we've we've talked about doing an episode before. I know at one point we were going to do My Cousin Vinny, and that kind of fell through for whatever reason. How did we end up on vacancy? Is, is this a movie you've always loved?
1: Uh, you know, you mentioned it as a possibility, and uh, I will say it's not a movie I've always loved. It's a movie I have grown to appreciate. And, um, you know, it, it's, I like it because there are plot holes like crazy. I like that. But it's a fun one to watch. It's, you know, it's, it's just, you know, there are, you don't ask a lot of questions. You just kind of suspend some disbelief
0: and you can really enjoy this one and you can enjoy it more than once. So you didn't like it at first. I mean, I, I kind of want to delve into that real quick here. So I remember the first time I watched it, um,
1: we had gotten it on Netflix back when Netflix, you had to get the DVD in the mail. Um, you know, and that's when I first got it. Um, and I was, uh, you know, I watched it and it was just, you know, how like when you're renting a movie, you're just, you're just like, okay, I like the people in this, you know, and I like Kate Beckinsale, I like Luke Wilson. So I thought, okay, this one will work. And there was just something, maybe it was, I'm a little bit strange in the fact that I work with murder and mayhem and I literally have on my laptop. Autopsy photos and crime scene photos and that sort of thing. I don't like horror movies in general. Um, I I I I don't watch them if I it, it, unless I have to. But somehow I, I like the people in this one. And um, I ended up. I don't say I wouldn't say I disliked it at first, but I didn't love it. And then I saw it on TV one time, and I was like, okay, I'll watch it again. And I could appreciate it more. And then, um, you know, time makes you like things more. And and then then I I rewatched it just to, you know, to prepare for this. I was like, oh, I
0: like this movie a lot. So I don't know. I've grown. It's grown on me. (laughs) Yeah. My regular listeners know that there's certain types of horror movies I like and certain ones I don't like. And I don't like movies with lots of jump scares. And that's one thing with horror movies that I've, you know, I've had people say over the years. You know, Mario, for someone who likes horror movies, you don't like horror movies very much, which is funny. Ties into with your murder thing. But like, I don't like movies that jump scare you to death. I don't like gory movies. I don't like anything with torture. And that's what I love about Vacancy. It really doesn't have any of those things. It's surprisingly light for a heavy movie. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I I don't
1: watch the Saw movies. I, I don't watch them. I won't watch them. And, uh, you couldn't pay me. Well, yeah, you could pay me enough to watch them, but really I don't want to watch them. This one I felt like, um, you know, and we can get into the whole thing. Um, but I felt like I didn't feel the stress that I feel sometimes with torture movies. Um, and I felt like, um, you know, we pretty much, I, I was, I was ready to buckle up and go for the ride.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say you can almost make the argument this isn't really a horror movie because it doesn't have a lot of horror elements. Like it's the the movie I would compare it to the most is Joyride. You know Joyride? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like it's just like big roller coaster of suspense.
1: Yes, and it's suspense and you know, it is kind of a suspense in the fact that you you probably know from the beginning that the ending isn't going to be where your heroes are dead um you know though you can always be surprised but you know somehow knowing that probably Kate Beckinsale and Luke Wilson will still be breathing at the end of the movie is it, it helps um you know and then come to find out well we'll get into what happened but um you know there were a few surprises for me along the way
0: yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I was doing some research on this movie. I don't know if you know much about the backstory. I, <laughs> I assume you as a People magazine reporter, you probably know way more than I do. So I'm not going to sit here and make the mistake of trying to mansplain to you. But I was surprised when I read that this movie was a Hitchcock homage. And... And that really stands out to me, honestly, because Hitchcock never did any of the horror stuff that I hate in movies. You know, the jump scares and all the blood and the gore and torture and stuff.
1: I mean, I can see a little bit of the Hitchcock thing behind it. Um, You know, I think that um, with the exception of a few scenes where they're showing um the you know the you know some some snuff films in the movie there's not a, they're telling us more than they're showing and sometimes they you know some horror movies show more than they tell so you see the you know I, I, other movies you see somebody getting disembowelled um in this case a lot of the things that happen are really happening off screen or we're seeing the characters react to it happening. Um, It's not until, you know, quite late in the movie until you actually see people
0: actually dying who are not on a videotape somewhere. Okay, at this point in the episode, I should probably show a little mercy to my listeners since I haven't actually explained the general principle of this movie yet. Yeah, so Steve and I just launched right into it. So I'll, I'll give this to you, Steve, because you do this for a living. Give people like a a two-paragraph summary of what vacancy is about.
1: There's a couple who can barely stand each other, and uh, they end up breaking down on a country road. And the only place that they can stay is a hotel. And uh, it's it's an awful hotel, and they pop in a videotape that's been left in the room, and they see... A, what looks like a horror movie, but it's somebody getting killed and then they realize it's somebody getting killed in the same room that they're in. So that leads to them realizing that they're being watched and then you know uh, people are trying to kill them, but they at first you don't know how many. and you know then you're watching this couple try and figure out how are we going to survive this night? The whole movie takes place in one night and so you're watching them, try to survive that night.
0: Yeah, it's a very brisk movie. Again, it's it's a really heavy premise of a movie. It's a snuff film motel where people are literally killed in their room and the manager sells videos of people being killed to truckers. You know, a very heavy plot. And it could have been way worse and way more gory, but it just flies by. It's what, like, 80 minutes or something it's a very short movie.
1: It's an hour and 25 minutes. So whatever that is, yeah. It's it's um and the funny thing is it never really drags, but there was one point where I did see, you know, how much time do we have left? And I kind of felt like we were still in the build up and we only had 25 minutes left. And I'm like, "Okay, well, let's see where we go
0: from here." So Yeah, it's funny because it takes them a while to actually get into the room. I always kind of forget that before I watch this movie. Exactly. And, you know, it's
1: uh, it's one of those things where you're watching the movie and you are kind of wanting to call out some advice to the to the, to the people on, on screen. Like, don't go in there. Um, you know, if it looks creepy, don't stay there. But unfortunately, nobody listened to my advice and they got themselves in trouble. So.
0: Well, it's funny. I have a friend who loves horror movies named Matt Carter, and he was saying he and his wife love this movie because it's uh, one of the rare movies where the protagonists actually make smart choices. For the most part in the movie, they, they don't do stupid stuff. I'm going to
1: disagree. Um, I think uh, from the fact that they were even in that small town to begin with, everything that they did was stupid.
0: Oh, OK. So everything. So, everything. So you give them no credit.
1: I give them very little credit. Um, You know, uh, 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 very early, well, you know, when they they go into the hotel, the hotel is, you know, a flea bag. They walk in and they hear somebody screaming, but, and then the the hotel clerk says, oh, it's just the TV. I, I need to see what you're watching. I'm like, okay. Like, I'm already in the middle of BFE and I don't, there's nobody can hear me scream. And there's some blood-curdling scream that you, creepy guy, are listening to. And I'm just going to take your word for it, that
0: it's a TV. (laughs) Look at Mr. Big High and Mighty People magazine reporter who stays in Hilton's and Marriott's and doesn't stay in the little shitholes like the rest of us do with our screaming victims in the background.
1: Oh, but I do.
0: Uh, I, I mean, the,
1: the crimes I cover don't happen a lot of times in nice cities. They happen in, in rural somewhere. Um, and so I have stayed in my share of those hotels that look like the hotel there. Except for, you know, I get that this hotel is supposed to be gross and everything. There was part of me that's like, oh, it's kind of nice. It's kind of like art deco. It's kind of kind of retro. I mean, just a, a couple coats of paint. It could have been a gorgeous hotel.
0: Yeah, well, I would just say uh, what I've always loved about this movie is my wife and I drive across the country. You know, we're always doing road trips. We've stayed in these little flea bag motels in the middle of nowhere. And I cannot, for the life of me, Steve, stay in one of these little, you know, motels in one of these little flea bag places and not think about vacancy. And to me, this is the greatest compliment I could ever give to a horror movie is that after I'm done watching it, I always think of that movie when I'm in a setting like that.
1: Okay. Well, I can understand that. I mean, um, I feel the same way when I stay in those and I'm totally drawing a blank that Rebecca De Mornay movie with John Cusack. They're in a hotel somewhere. Okay. I can't
0: remember it now. Uh, Identity.
1: Identity. Yes. That's what I think of when I, when I, I think of certain scenes from that, when I stay in a hotel like this.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, I actually get identity and vacancy mixed up in my head sometimes. Yeah. So, um, you know,
1: I, I guess, with this with this particular case and this particular story, I, I, I when I was watching it to prepare for this, I, I kind of was keeping track of all the dumb moves that they made, uh, because I figured that would be a topic that we would end up talking about.
0: OK, yeah, that's fair. Just uh, feel free to throw out any ridiculous moves they make as the podcast goes along. That's cool. OK, all right. <laughs> so do you know any of the uh, backstory behind this movie? Because I did some, you know, nominal research here. Like, do you know much about the director?
1: Well, I do know that my favorite tidbit for this was that it wasn't supposed to be Kate Beckinsale. Do you know who it was supposed to be?
0: I heard it was Sarah Jessica Parker.
1: Which would have made it a totally different movie. And it kind of makes it, I mean, granted, uh, you know, when this came out, um, Sarah Jessica Parker was so synonymous with Sex and the City that I don't know how it would have worked to be honest, with her in it. Um, You know, and and I think um, Kate Beckinsale was a good choice. Um, So, yeah, when it comes to, you were asking about the director?
0: Yeah, the guy's name is is what, Nimrod Antal? Yeah, I don't know much about him, so why don't you tell me what you know? Okay, so this is all I've learned. And again, this is from five minutes of diligent IMDb research right before this podcast. (laughs) So, he's a Hungarian director. He made a movie called Control, which was very highly acclaimed. I've never personally seen it. Uh, then he came to the U.S., and this was his follow-up movie, and his first U.S. movie, which was a Hitchcock homage called Vacancy. So, he's a very highly regarded suspense director. I just don't know his other stuff, apparently. Yeah.
1: Well, I've I got to say that it was very well directed. I'm not saying it was a badly directed movie. Uh, in fact, I think it was... You know, he did a good job of establishing the the mood that we wanted. Um, You know, I think uh, I I don't think that this was would have been a very auspicious um, movie to make your name among American American audiences. So um, but I think he did a a good job with it.
0: Yeah, I think everyone involved in the movie did a pretty good job. And again, it's very good. It's got a small cast. There's only like five people in the movie. Exactly. Although I'm sure you're aware of this, Steve. You heard that the main stars hated each other, right? Um,
1: yeah, and it's you know, I always take that with a grain of salt because they always tell me that you know everybody's always like, you know, oh, these people really hated each other. Um but I can see why they might not like each other. Um having met both of them in person in my real life, I think that they don't seem like they would be a match personality wise. Um, you know, Luke Wilson can be very aloof. Um, he can be very dry with his sense of humor. Um, you know, and, and he doesn't give a real crap whether you like him or not. Um, and Kate, um, you know, obviously is a little bit different than that. Um, and I think I can see that they might not have liked each other. And also, um, that's fine. Cause they weren't supposed to like each other. They're, they're, they they had gone to, their characters were going through a divorce and it had some sort of tragedy that's never really spelled out for us. But they lost their son, um, who, by the looks of a picture that we see on the, you know, that we see early on was like five years old. And but we don't know exactly what happened. We don't know whose fault it was. We don't know anything. Um, so they don't like each other. Um, really as characters. So it's fine
0: that as actors, they didn't like each other either. Yeah, and I was going to say the same thing, just like that. If you read the IMDb trivia, it's just, you know, entry after entry about how much Kate Beckinsale hated Luke Wilson, how they barely talked. And like, well, you know, the characters hated each other too. So it actually kind of works out pretty well. Exactly. And,
1: you know, I, I, I think chemistry between two actors has to be based on some sort of feeling and it can be a negative feeling people can absolutely hate each other and their chemistry can be terrific and they can really like each other very well and there's no chemistry whatsoever so um you know I think it worked in this case I think Kate Beckinsale in particular did a good job with the material that she had um you know I think she she was certainly a um Better than I think Sarah Jessica Parker would have been.
0: Yeah, I, I cannot even picture this movie with Sarah Jessica Parker. I, I just like Kate Beckinsale has to be like very frantic and very active, and it's like an like almost an action movie at times. I just don't picture that from Sarah Jessica Parker. I
1: no, and I, I think you know sometimes people just aren't right for a role, and I think they're I actually think um, you could have taken pretty much any actor who was popular in 2007 and put him in the Luke Wilson role and it probably would have worked um you know a lot of people could not have done the gate back and sale role um you know I'm just thinking who was popular during those those years you're not going to put Reese Witherspoon in there um you know maybe you could put somebody like Christina Ricci
0: in it I don't know what about Anne Hathaway can you see Anne Hathaway in this
1: Does she get a makeover halfway through? Because apparently that was her thing in the mid-2000s. No, I I mean, well, let's see. This would have been right after Devil Wears Prada. You know, she might have been able to do it, but no, I don't think so. Uh,
0: I could actually see Emily Blunt doing a better job. Okay, okay. We're going to delve into the plot now. We're going to walk people through the movie. Again, this is one of those movies that I just absolutely love because it's so lean and mean and it just lingers in your head afterwards. And the snuff films are so cool. Oh, in fact, Steve, you may not be aware of this. You'll enjoy this. I looked it up. The original title of this movie was Snuff Films Made Me Famous.
1: (laughs) Well, I'd watch that for sure. I would host that one.
0: The only other bit of trivia I read about this movie is that it was uh, filmed on the Wizard of Oz set, which I think is hilarious. And apparently that was a big deal to the cast. They loved that. And this whole movie is actually shot indoors. None of it is outside. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. I actually saw a whole feature on the DVD about it. It's it's really cool how they transformed the set to look like it was actually outside. That is impressive. And The Wizard
1: of Oz set. Okay, I would be a little bit starstruck by that. And um, you know, there's always that. There's always been that rumor that like uh, of a staff member who hanged himself from a tree on Wizard of Oz, and maybe he had something to do with this. I mean, it could all. We could tie it all in together. It could be all part of the same universe.
0: Was that one of the snuff films when they hung one of the background actors in the background? Exactly. (laughs) All right, so let's delve into the plot here. Again, the 2007 movie Vacancy, very minimal plot. I only have like 10 pages of notes, which is very short for me. I usually have like 17. So uh, let's open the movie here. It's just uh, our characters' names are David and Amy, and we're really not going to learn too much about them. Uh, It's not a lot of character development in this movie, unfortunately, but... Uh, Steve, okay, go ahead. Explain how this movie starts. I think they're, they're what, driving home together from a party late at night?
1: Yeah, they're driving home from a family party with, you know, it's like an anniversary party of some sort of one of their parents. I can't remember if it's his or hers. Um, you know, and uh, they are driving, they, for whatever reason, decide to veer off the interstate and drive on a back road, um, you know, in the dark. Uh, when for whatever reason, they don't have, I mean, okay, this is set in 2007. This is not set in 1983, but they're using a paper map. They didn't even print anything out from MapQuest. They didn't, I had a BlackBerry in 2007. It's not like, you know, you weren't, we weren't just flying blind here. But they're like looking at a paper map and, and then uh, he runs off the road because he's trying to avoid a raccoon.
0: Yeah, I noticed the technology in this movie kind of fades in and out, like, (laughs) of the time period, because, like, there's a large part of the movie where a cell phone would really help, and they apparently have no cell phone, and then all of a sudden she does have a cell phone, and the paper map also jumps out at me as well. I mean, you know, the whole time,
1: so a lot of these old movies, older movies that are anywhere from the 90s to the mid-2000s, I always like to think, how would it be different today? You know, the Scream movies wouldn't have worked today because, you know, he was a suspect because he was carrying a cell phone. And who carried a cell phone? Uh, You know, now it would be different. Um, You know, and so this one, I was really confused a few times. I even looked looked at the cars to say, well, maybe... This was filmed in 2007, but it was set in 1994. But no, they wow. were 2007 cars that they were driving. So um, I do think it's shoddy filmmaking sometimes when they have the technology when they need it for the plot. And then mm-hmm. they forget that
0: they have it. Yeah, I can't tell you the number of times I've forgotten that I don't need a paper map. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean, and, and he, at one point, he's actually, I, I shit you not, I'm not making this up he gets turned around because he's held the map upside down. <laughs> and so he's been going the wrong way towards, he's like, Oh, we're almost to this town and come to find out they missed the town because the map was upside down. Um, and I will say that when I watched that today and I, I, I really enjoyed watching this movie again, but when I watched it for preparation for this, I'm like, Oh, get out of here. Really? like, if your map is upside down, you would have passed the city anyway. I don't understand. Okay.
0: So. Yeah. Yeah. What is he? What is he? Gilligan?
1: Exactly. <laughs> so it was so confusing. Like, he, you know, clearly this is ostensibly some back road that only has one way. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah, the then they missed the town that they were that they could have stopped at. So. All right.
0: Okay, now in the movie, it's not named where they are. They're just kind of in the middle of nowhere. I don't know if you researched this movie to know where theoretically it's supposed to be set. I'm gonna
1: guess, I didn't research that, but uh, I'm gonna guess that it's somewhere on the Eastern seaboard, like Virginia.
0: You're actually quite incorrect. Really? The screenwriter came up with the idea of this movie while he was driving through rural New Mexico. Well, this does not look
1: like any New Mexico I've ever been to. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's why they never mention in the movie exactly where it is.
1: I mean, even the topography of the place, it looks like Virginia to me. So, uh, fine, Tennessee, whatever. But but I do notice nobody speaking with a southern accent. Yeah, so okay, that'll work.
0: Yeah, well, I will say I've driven through rural New Mexico. I don't know if you have, uh, p- perhaps in your Murder Made Me Famous travels... I mean, maybe you've been there. I don't know. But you really are in the middle of goddamn nowhere in New Mexico when you're off the main highway. So I can kind of see why this movie would be set there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, uh, obviously, the um, set designers and so forth have really made this look, you know, it it looks like a cliche hotel um, in the middle of nowhere. The only thing that was missing is I expected one of the letters to be at Uh, the neon letters to be not working like the e doesn't work it's h-o-t-l or something but that didn't happen so
0: it is surprisingly well kept up that motel yeah i noticed that it it is i mean you know
1: they show us a couple roaches so that we see know that it's not a nice hotel um but you know honestly i thought a certain thing i like the light fixtures were really cute i would put those in my house
0: so All right, just a little uh, endorsement of Mason's housekeeping abilities. (laughs) Okay, let's get back to the plot here. So they're just driving, apparently. uh, What? They're coming home from her parents' anniversary party or something. She's taking a sleeping pill, so she's passed out in the passenger seat. Uh, It's the middle of the night. Luke Wilson's had the map upside down. (laughs) And as they're driving through the middle of nowhere at night, he swerves to avoid a raccoon. And what, the car breaks down and, like, damages the fan blade or something when he swerves?
1: Yeah, you know, it's not really explained how how the damage worked, you know, because at one point the car was running until it stopped, uh, you know. And, and um, yeah, so, so he swerves to avoid this raccoon. She's awake now, and she is really pissed off that he got off the interstate. And his answer is, well, you were sleeping. Like, I don't know what he wanted her to do, because he, he would have been bitchy if she'd been backseat driving, too. So, you know, what do you want from her? So, um, you know, and she was reasonably, in my opinion, reasonably annoyed by the whole thing. Like, now we're in the middle of nowhere. You swerve to avoid a raccoon. Something's not working in the car. We don't know where we are. Um, I, th- I don't think that you're being too high maintenance to be a little bit bitchy about that.
0: Oh, no, I agree. She had a very valid argument. And in her defense, if she'd been awake, she could have flipped the map right side up for him. So that's what she could have done to help. I mean, yes, yeah, I suppose she could
1: have helped navigate. Um, you know, there was that. But but in general, she she asked him, you know, why did you get off of the, the interstate? And he said, oh, because there was an accident and the traffic was slow. It's like, so it's going to be quicker to go through BFE and and. And, you know, and get attacked by somebody? No, just stay on the interstate. We can stop at a Holiday Inn if we need to. Um, I'm sure there's a Denny's.
0: Okay, yeah. So they they got off the brutal traffic in rural New Mexico, and they pulled off onto the side road, and, what, their car is damaged now, and they they notice a gas station up ahead in the middle of nowhere, and they just kind of limp in with their car. It's very late at night, and they're looking for some kind of an attendant. And this is where they meet one of the uh, basically five characters in the movie, Ethan Embry, playing a creepy car mechanic.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I uh, when I see Ethan Embry, I think of Empire Records, um, you know, so it was fun to see him there. And I was like, oh, yeah, there he is. Um, you know, and his at first his role is so little that, you know, unfortunately, I I remember the first time watching it knowing, well, he's going to be back at some point. He was too big of a name in 2007 to have, you know, two lines or, you know, two minutes of of screen time. So, um, but yeah, you know, he's this mechanic and he's nice and he's affable and he's helpful and, you know, he's trying to direct them to, you know, how to get away, um, you know, and he says that the fan that the car will continue to run uh, probably to take them to the next city, which is 30 miles away, which of course the car does not. I would say there's a plot hole for me though. Ooh. Okay. What's this one? If Ethan Embry is a bad guy, why does he send them away to drive two miles down the road just to make them walk back instead of looking at the car, looking at, popping the hood looking in the car saying oh you're screwed
0: this isn't going to work i can fix
1: it in the morning there's a hotel right over there
0: yeah yeah no i I agree with you i i don't know if i'd call it so much a plot hole as they just want to disarm you and make you think this guy's nice so it appears that he actually tried to help them
1: yeah i mean you know he exactly but you know looking at okay I have never been somebody to like corner people in hotels and kill them that's not my, my style but I would imagine that if very few people come through town um, you want to keep them there if you can you don't send them away um, you know so uh, yeah so anyway Ethan Embry makes his first appearance here uh, he seems nice and then you know you think that maybe he's done he's done his part in the movie um, and then they drive off.
0: Okay. So the big picture here, if you've never seen this movie before, is this is all a trap. People come to the mechanic. The, uh, mechanic will intentionally disable their car so the people are stuck there. Then they have to walk across the street to the hotel. So the, the hotel and the gas station are basically working in cahoots. And what they're doing is they're creating basically a, uh, H.H. H. Holmes murder dungeon, essentially.
1: And, yeah, we never are told exactly why they're doing this other than the fact that they're just crazy sociopaths Um, because it doesn't really feel like they get much out of it. Other, I guess they sell the videos, the snuff videos, but I would also feel like perhaps if after maybe the second or third group of people are
0: murdered and they vanish, maybe the cops would start looking into it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was wondering if you're going to bring that up as a plot hole, because later in the movie, we find out there's like tapes and tapes of all these people that have been tortured in this hotel and were murdered. So you think at a certain point, maybe there might've been an investigation. There is a four
1: shelf rack that they end up having that has videotapes in it uh, on it, like 20 on a shelf. So there are 80 snuff films there um you know it's sort of like that joke about the murder she wrote woman where you start figuring maybe the old lady did it because (laughs) so many people die you know uh, there's 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 80 there's uh, clearly they've been doing this for a long time they're um they're not very good at it but they've been doing it for a long time and and yet no cops have ever thought "Hmm, this is weird
0: wait a minute How dare you say they're not very good at it? They've killed 80 people. That's like more than the Green River Killer at this point. Yeah, but look, I mean,
1: they came this close to Sarah Sarah Jessica Parker foiling them at their own plan (laughs) until she was recast. So I'm just saying, um, you know, for all the great things about Kate Beckinsale and Luke Wilson, their characters don't seem to be any stronger or brighter or faster or anything than the rest of us. And they're outnumbered.
0: Okay, admittedly, in this particular murder, they're not good. But I do think it's very disingenuous for you to say they're not good at murder overall.
1: Okay, well, we can get into why I don't think they're that good at murder as we move on. But continue with continue with your pl- plot synopsis, and
0: I'll explain. Okay, will do. Although, it, <laughs> admittedly, I'm not the one who had a TV show about murder, so I will defer to you. But okay, so. So, the cars have been disabled. So, Luke Wilson and Kate Beckinsale walk across the street to the motel. It's called the Pinewood Motel. Just some no-name, middle-of-nowhere motel. You've seen many ones like this before in real life. You know what it looks like. It's not especially ominous or creepy-looking. It's just a motel just in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing around at all. So, oh yeah, it's also the only light source in the area. So, that's the kind of thing. It's very dark. This is the only light source. So, they walk over there and this is a fun scene. One of my favorites in the movie where they walk in the lobby and they want to get a room for the night or at least rest there until their car is fixed the next morning. And uh, this is where we get the scene where Steve, you mentioned earlier as they walk into the lobby of the manager's office, they hear screaming coming from the room behind him. And you think that might be kind of a red flag that maybe you don't want to stay here. Okay. And let me just make it clear.
1: This isn't, we've all watched horror movies. This isn't the scream from a horror movie because there's not suspenseful music and there's not other things. It's just a, like a disembodied scream. Somebody's screaming and it doesn't sound like a movie. It doesn't sound like it's a TV show. Um, you know, so, so I would want to know a little bit more and it's not like they, it's not like the guy showed them the TV screen. He just, when he realized that they were a little bit skeeved out by the screaming, he went back in, into the other room, came back with the remote, and he's like, oh, yeah, I get, I get bored here, so I'm watching TV. Hey, what are you watching? I need to know this because I need to determine whether I want to be out in the middle of nowhere with you. And second of all, it just it, there was nothing about what they heard that sounded like it should be a well-produced horror movie.
0: Yeah, okay, I'm gonna spoil it a little for people just because I think it'll make you appreciate the plot more. This is for people who have never seen the movie before. So what's happening is they're running a torture motel here where they have one special room in the hotel where everyone who stays in there is tortured and murdered and filmed, and they wind up selling these videotapes to people, these snuff films. So the manager is technically watching one of his favorite videos from the past. He's doing it in the back room, and he's watching it and doing whatever he does to get sexy time out of it. I don't want to get into that too much. And uh, basically what happens is they walked in and they caught him watching one of his own snuff films. And he's just like, oh, sorry. He just goes and turns down the volume and theoretically zips up his pants. But that's going on as they walk in. They're unaware. They're, they're completely unaware of what they're walking into.
1: Okay, again, I really do like this movie. But they're, part of what I like about it is being able to to kind of smirk at certain things. And and one of the things I smirked at was, you know, they're both looking very, um, they're both looking very, very concerned, but not concerned enough to, you know, to find if there's any other options. You know, uh, they ask if they can borrow his phone. He's like, we have a pay phone. It takes dimes. Um, And he makes change for them. It's just the whole thing, I think, you wouldn't you at least call somebody and tell them come get me i mean
0: i don't know yeah i was gonna say this this is where it would have been helpful that they had a cell phone like where they could call somebody but it never comes up and then later in the movie she will have a cell phone and it's like well where was the cell phone when you were trying to call somebody keep in mind that okay this is 2007 i was on facebook in 2007 so,
1: um, and we were all speaking in the third person at that point in, on Facebook. So my status probably would have read, "Steve Helling is in the creepiest hotel." If I don't come, you know, I mean, I would have posted something. I, I, and they don't ever do, and unless I missed it every time that I've watched this. They they could have solved that by being like, "Oh God, I don't have any, I don't have any signal here," but they don't really get into that, uh, you know. So. Uh, again, we just have to, we just have to assume that they had those cell phones that only worked half the time.
0: Well, one of the things I like about this movie is that as it has a kind of sense of humor about itself, Mm -hmm. like even though it's a very brutal movie and it's a horribly dark storyline, it seems to kind of realize it's silly over the top to begin with. So I don't really mind stuff like that because it almost kind of fits the movie. Yes, yes, I agree. And,
1: you know, so, you know, they're now they're in this hotel and, And you just have to, you have to be part of the ride here.
0: Yeah. (laughs) This is just a snuff film motel. We're just going to go with it at this point. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, we've already invested. I don't know. We're already a third
1: of the way into the movie. We might as well
0: finish. Yeah. And that's what I was saying earlier. This, this is already 25 minutes into like an 82 minute movie. It like, it took a while for them just to get here, but it's going to really get going now. Okay. So. Now we get to meet the manager of the motel. This is one of those great underrated characters in horror movies. Uh, Frank Whaley, uh, he's one of these guys. You'd probably recognize him if you don't know his name. He's been in a lot of stuff over the years. Anyway, he plays this weaselly little mustached motel manager named Mason. And you'll be seeing a lot of him in the movie. He's the guy who runs this operation. Exactly. And you have to keep in mind, he was... This is an
1: actor who was working very, very, um, you know, he was everywhere in the mid 2000s. You know, um, he you had seen him in Pulp Fiction in the 90s. You'd seen him in a bunch of things. And then all of a sudden something happened in 2000 and he was starting to do a ton of movies. He was in school of rock. He was in crazy eights. He, you know, after this, he was in like the cell movie. He, he did a lot of movies at all of this time.
0: Yeah. I love him in this movie. And even though he's like the main bad guy, he's also the comic relief. So it's kind of interesting that he's really straddling the line, all movie between being ominous and scary and just being goofy as all hell.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean,
0: he he was also.
1: There's always in every horror movie. I I have a hypothesis that one actor, the per the there's always one actor that the um that the director goes to him in his dressing room and says, "Look, you can go as over the top as you want, and it will be fine." And this is the character that was told like there's no limits. You can't even overact. There's
0: no it, just. Overact your ass off and, and, and it will be great. And he did. Okay. So Mason sets them up and, you know, they don't really want to stay here. They're still kind of bickering with each other. And I guess they've somehow overlooked the fact that there were screams coming from the back room, but Mason's like, you know, so nervous and unthreatening and nerdy. They're not scared of him or anything. He's like, well, you know, I can set you guys up in the honeymoon suite. We got room number four. It's perfect for lovers. He's like only $5 extra. And they're like, well, we don't want it, we don't really need it. And he's like, well, hell, I'll give it to you for free. And again, this is the trap. That's the room with all the booby traps and the cameras and all the snuff material set up for them to die in there. So they have to end up in that room for this plot to work. So he basically gives them the room at regular rate. And at this point, it's really like a mouse trap Is they're going to walk into the honeymoon suite, room four, and from here on out, it's really just a roller coaster of suspense for the next sixty minutes. It's never going to stop.
1: Exactly, and I, I will say that that he seems so anxious to give him that room that you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But you kind of look at it, you're like, what is it about? Like literally, I, our car broke down. We just want to sleep for a few hours until sunup. Um, you know, I don't need your honeymoon suite. I don't need this type of thing. Um, but, you know, maybe that's
0: just my cynicism. Yeah, well, you've done too many TV shows about murders already, so you're already getting all the hints. I mean, why do you want me in this room? What's so special about this room? Hey, sir, sorry your car broke down and it's scary outside. Wouldn't you like a romantic room so you can bang your wife tonight? Actually, no, no, I do not. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, at this point...
1: You know, and I it took me a couple of viewings to understand that all of the murders happened in that room. I just assumed anywhere in the hotel they happened, but it
0: had to be in that room. Well, yeah, it it makes more sense when you see this movie a couple of times. You realize, uh spoiler alert, there's tunnels underground that all lead to the same place. So, yeah. So, let's go into room number 4, the murder room. And again, as much as we're goofing around and laughing in this podcast, this movie is not going to be goofing around real soon. It's going to get real suspenseful real fast. So, Steve, I'll give it to you. Explain this shit hole of a room to people.
1: So, this is one of those rooms with like wood paneling on the walls. Um, the uh, uh, the bedspread is brown and striped, which means it could just have anything. This is not a hotel that you would want to take a black light to. Let's just say that. Um, you know, they they have these vintage um lighting that makes it all kind of gloomy and dark um, you know everything about it is uh, you know the sink has has like watermarks in it it's it it looks like it's never been renovated and certainly has never been cleaned uh it's it's gross again i will still stick by the fact that a couple you know some spick and span and a coat of paint it would kind of be kind of cute but okay but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bad hotel. We wouldn't want to stay there.
0: It looks like a motel that might have been nice maybe 30 years ago. Exactly.
1: It's a motel that when, you know, Lucy and Ethel were traveling across the country, um, you know, on Route 66, they would stop there. But nobody has stopped there since.
0: Okay. Okay. So they, they get in the room and they're just, they're still bickering and there's a lot of Plot here that I, I'm just going to kind of skip over about how they want to get a divorce. They don't like each other, and again, that's kind of the basic premise of the movie. They're going to have to band together and fight these bad guys and get over their differences. But the one thing that I need to point out about this room is that there's very distinct paintings on the wall, and that will be that will come in handy later because uh, David will recognize them in the videos when they're watching the snuff films. Exactly. Well, you know, and.
1: He recognizes that and she recognizes the bedspread. So, um, you know, I, I, for whatever reason, that stood out to me. But yeah, this is, you know, this isn't one of those hotel rooms that there's a million of them that look just like it. This is not the Days Inn or the Holiday Inn Express. This is, you know, this is one that was decorated by art that was bought on the side of the road.
0: This is the Pinewood Motel. They do things differently there. Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so now we get to the meat and potatoes of the movie as they're just kind of sitting there and they don't really have anything to do and they're just you know deciding to go to bed or whatever and, and this is where the banging starts. Not the good kind. Yeah, yes. Not the honeymoon sweet banging, yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, with the, you know, this
1: is your last clear sign to get the hell out of there. Um, people are starting, to, their phone starts ringing and it's one of those phones that is like, the only way I can describe it is if you used to watch the old Mary Tyler Moore phone or show, that was the phone that was sitting on her desk in her office in 1970. Um, so, you know, it's one of those phones. It keeps ringing. People start banging on not just the front door, but the door between their room and the next room over. And they're really banging on it. So And, and you know, obviously the bad guys are doing this on purpose to terrify them. Again, this is when you're just like, okay, I think I'm going to call it right now that it's time for us to leave.
0: But again, in the movie's defense, I mean, where else could they go? Their their car's disabled. They're a good, what, 30 miles from anywhere else. It's not like they have a lot of options. I agree. But I also believe, like, sometimes going back to the
1: car and sitting in the car would be better than being where you're at there granted there's another whole set of horror that could happen there but this is still the time where they don't know the scope of the danger that they're in but it's enough for me to be like i'm not gonna get any sleep here so why am i here i just need to be be with the car
0: yeah and to uh paint a picture for people who have never, maybe never seen the movie like steve said the phone rings kate picks it up no one's there it happens a couple of times. And then the really loud banging starts on the front door. And like Steve said, it's not like a polite knocking or tapping. It's someone banging on the door like, I'm going to come in there and kill you. So David walks up to the front door and opens it and says, what's going on? And, and no one's there. And then the banging starts to his right in the adjoining room. There's a door that adjoins two rooms. And David's like, well, someone's just messing with us. And he, he, it's a little unnerving because it's very aggressive and very scary, these banging on the walls. And it, although at first they're they're not so scared, they're just kind of annoyed right at this point. Yeah,
1: I mean, you know, the, we have the we have the um, advantage of hearing the suspenseful music, but the characters do not. And, you know, a lot of times when there's something like that, if somebody is banging on the door, you're just like, oh, my God, I'm trying to sleep. I'm already in a shithole. And now there's some kid, do, you know, who's doing this? You know, you don't really think this was my last night on Earth. You think, somebody's messing with me and I'm
0: tired and I'm not really in the mood for this. Yeah, so David does what the logical thing would be. And he's like, you know, someone's fucking with us. It's pissing me off. He looks outside. There's no cars in the parking lot. He's like, someone's just messing with us. Again, they're not scared yet. But his logical instinct is, I'm going to go over to the manager's office and talk to him. So he goes and complains. And for what it's worth, this is
1: the first time in the movie that he says to her, wait here, I'll be right back. Remember that phrase, because he's going to say it about 15 more times in the movie. Um, You know, during periods of time where really, it's probably best to stick together, but they leave each other all the time in this movie. And and it's like, okay, I'm going to go out into the parking lot.
0: I'm going to go to the bathroom. No, you're staying together. I swear there's at least two points in this movie where he uses her as a decoy. He's like, all right, go stand next to the scary man, and I'm going to go make a run for it. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot
1: of—now, knowing that this was filmed inside, that's funny, because there's a lot of running
0: in this movie, actually. Oh, yeah, it's a huge set. Yeah, it's really funny. Okay, so so David goes to talk to the manager, and he's, uh says, you know, there's some a-hole in the room next to me banging on my door. And the manager's like, well, no one's in the room next to you. You're my only customer's here tonight. But, you know, sometimes teenagers and, you know, homeless guys will crawl in there and go to sleep. So I'll go check it out. So it's theoretically being taken care of. The manager's going to go check on room three. Luke Wilson goes back to his room, goes back to Amy. And and now at this point in the movie, it's going to escalate really quickly when they find the snuff film tapes.
1: Yeah, so... You know, Luke Wilson is now putting in videotapes that are sitting on top of the, the, um, you know, sitting on top of the TV and he's putting them in. And the first one is like a snuff film. And I will say that these snuff films are the least convincing snuff ever. Um, you know, they're putting them in and you know, I went to college at a certain time of my life where, where everybody didn't have a phone with cameras. So we had, but there would always be some kid who'd end up with a video camera and we would make things that look like this. Um, just because, you know, everybody it's overacting like you wouldn't believe, but yeah. Um, yes, there are people who are being killed there. You see one set of women who are getting killed and you see it, what looks like a couple and later on you see an older couple i mean they they killed, they did not discriminate they killed whoever um so yeah so luke wilson sees the first one and instead of just saying grab your coat we're getting the fuck out of
0: here instead he puts in a different videotape just to see what's on that one maybe this is the uh, snuff film director's cut <laughs> okay okay so you said these are the least convincing snuff films you've ever seen Have you seen better quality snuff films than this?
1: Actually, I've never seen a a snuff film. I mean, I remember in college watching Faces of Death, but I think that was all fake. Yeah, I mean, I've not. But if that's what a snuff film looks like, it's not nearly as scary as, you know, as other things I've watched. Um, But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Everybody's, the, the snuff films that you're seeing are mayhem. There's like, Three people screaming, and then there's people who are coming up to him. There's blood everywhere, but it's not doesn't look like real blood. And oh, there was one where it looks like it's a businessman of some sort. And I'm just like, I don't even know what's going on here. It looks like it looks like summer theater where everybody got like, you know, some some ketchup and put it on themselves and decided to practice screaming.
0: Yeah. Okay, Joe. Just in case people have never seen this movie, so they're in their room. There's a bunch of videotapes in their room just sitting there and the TV channels don't work. So there's nothing to watch. So Luke Wilson is just trying to find something to do to kill time. And he just pops in this videotape that he's found on the, on the TV, pops in the VCR and he's like, Oh, maybe it'll be porn. (laughs) So maybe somebody left a porn movie here. Cool. Good for us. And yeah, these snuff films are like Steve is saying, they're comical and over the top, which is probably intentional. Like I said, this movie kind of has a sense of humor about itself, but they are vicious. The movie is all—it's always uh, people that are staying in the room being attacked by these two men dressed in black. They have black ski masks on, black clothes, and they're just beating the crap out of the people in the room and stabbing them. And there's just screaming and blood all over the place. And one video I think has a guy being hung with a rope from the, the chandelier up in the ceiling. And these videos are just nasty, these, these things. And so, so David watches the first one. He's like, um, I don't like the look of this. And he puts in a second tape. And it's another snuff film and another couple, basically the exact same thing, just a different type of murder. And he's like, uh, that's not good. And of course, in the background, you see Kate Beckinsale getting all freaked out. And she's like, oh, I don't like this. I don't like this. And that's when David notices, wait, those were shot in this room. He notices the decor in the snuff films. He's like, that is our room where they filmed this. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, you know, and and one
1: thing that I thought was funny is that you mentioned he's like, oh, maybe this is porn. It's like, okay, you're actually sharing a hotel room that's disgusting with somebody who hates
0: you. And you're going to put in porn? I mean, it's the honeymoon suite, Steve.
1: Okay, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the interesting thing is, you know, he notices first that this is that this is in their room. And then she notices pretty quickly afterwards, like I said, by looking at the bedspread. And then they're just like starting to like look around to see where are the cameras. Okay. Fuck that. No, I'm not going to look around to see where the cameras are. Now I've known that people have been killed in this hotel room that again, we have now, this is at least the sixth red flag. I will take my chances in the, in the, in the woods for the week, for the night, but no, they stay
0: there for a good three, four minutes after they realized that this that was probably a mistake. Yeah, probably, arguably, arguably a, m- a mistake to stay in the snuff room. <laughs> like you said, they look around, they determine where all the cameras are. They see there's like four cameras in the room. And to be fair, Steve, for snuff film quality, you have to remember these are fixed cameras. No one's operating them like a handheld camera operator. So the quality of the film would not be that good. I I don't think it would be that
1: good, but then again, um, you know, not, uh, I mean, the truckers didn't seem to mind. Again, truckers talk about everything. Um, You know, you would think that it would eventually get back to the cops, that there's a weird snuff film booming business happening there, but apparently the cops, nobody notices. Um, And and it also raises the question, I, I thought this a few times, I thought... So there's all these disabled cars of all these people who are missing. Like, um, you know, let's face it. Luke Wilson and Kate Beckinsale seem to be the type of people that if they had vanished off the face of the earth, somebody would have gone looking for them. And, you know, I assume, like looking at the snuff films, the people there, like I said, are businessmen and older couples and whatever – Somebody would look for some of these people. So where did their cars go? Where did their clothes go? Where did all their stuff go?
0: Do we need a prequel to Vacancy? Is that what you're saying?
1: I just have so many questions. That's all I'm saying.
0: Okay, so they've determined they are in the murder room where all these murders have happened. They're starting to put the pieces together like, oh, crap, you know, we're in the middle of nowhere in this no-name motel. No one knows we're here. There's menacing bangs on the door, Everyone who's been in this room before us has been killed. Uh, we're probably next. And this is, again, I love this scene. Okay, yeah, there's, it, it's a goofy movie. There's plot holes all over the place. I get it. But I love this scene because the lights go out in their room. All of a sudden, everything just goes dark. And they're like, uh-oh, what happened? And the minute the lights go off, right behind them, you see a shadow of a man. So it turns out somebody's in their room and they don't even realize it. You see him just kind of walking behind, walking behind them in the bathroom, and it's such a fantastic effect. I just love the way that's shot.
1: It is, you know, and, and I mean, we we are all used to horror films where, you know, a lightning st- flashes and there's a figure behind you or whatever, but it was. I thought it was effective here, and I also felt like, um, you know, we, we really needed to see something uh, at this point to show how 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 much danger they were in, because there's been a lot of buildup. And this is the first time that you ever really understand
0: for sure that they're next. Yeah, so they've already put two and two together. They're probably next. They're the next snuff film. And they're starting to debate, is the manager in on this? Like, what's the big big picture here? And there's a great little moment here where uh, earlier in the movie, Amy was cutting an apple in the car. It was like the first scene in the movie. And as she's searching the room for ways to get out of here, she sees the same apple, the one she had in the car. So somebody has deliberately snuck into their room, placed the apple from her car in the bathroom just to scare them. And that's when they really get freaked out. They realize someone's been in this room. That means there's another way into this room that we're not aware of. That to me is... Because,
1: you know, if you've ever stayed in one of these hotel rooms, there really is... There, there are no real ways in or out other than that front door. Um, You know, maybe there's a window, but um, so the idea that somebody is able to come and go, um, you know, leads you to wonder for a moment, um, you know, is something supernatural happening here? You know, what's, what's going on? Um, Because, you know, if you're
0: watching it for the first time and you're not spoiled, you don't know what the menace is really. And that's the fantastic part of this movie. You know, you know something's coming. You just don't know what it is exactly. And that's the, you know, genius slash idiocy of the killers is that they don't just run in and kill people right away. They just terrorize them for a while, get it all on video, make a good snuff film out of it. And then when they finally get bored, then they just come in and kill them. So it's really going to be a cat and mouse game the rest of the movie.
1: Right. Exactly. So,
0: yeah. So now
1: I think this is where they decide maybe they should involve the police.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let me set that up. So there's three possible exits from this room. You have the front door. Then if you go in the back to the bathroom, there's a window there, but the window has been nailed shut. So they can't really climb out the window without, without some effort. And then there's the adjoining door into room three. Those are the three ways in and out of this room. Their first instinct is to get out and run. So they go to the front door, they open the door, and they see a couple of masked men out there in the parking lot coming at them with the the black ski masks. So they realize, okay, we're not going to do that. They go back in the room, they hide. Then uh, Amy in the back looks out the bathroom window to see if they can climb out there, and a masked man appears there. And she screams really loudly. And (laughs) I think this is the time when David, the first time where David actually uses her as a decoy. He's like, oh, my wife is screaming. I could run out the front door now. So that's what he does. He runs out and he gets to the phone booth.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, um, uh, again, we can question the idea of leaving your wife in a a hotel room where there is at least three people around. Um, But he made his choice and that's what he did.
0: (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So he gets to the phone booth and he's got some dimes he got earlier from the manager and he starts calling 911 and he's like, you know, help, you know, the police police were in this motel, the Pinewood Motel. There's people trying to kill us, trying to get into our room. And here's the first really great scare in the movie. Steve, whose voice appears on the other end of the phone? So, um, it's,
1: you know, he calls them, he calls it, and it is, it's the, um, Uh, motel manager, Mason, who answers the phone. And it takes a second for you to realize that that's who it is. It's not like he's like, ah, Mason. Um, You know, he he says something like, you know, oh, you shouldn't be out in the dark by yourself. And that's when you realize, okay, this this isn't good.
0: And then he also says, you'll never survive if you lose control, Mr. Fox. Right, exactly. Yeah, so he realizes there's no help there's no way to get out of this motel. There's no one to call. So he runs back into the room with his wife and now they're just like surrounded on all sides. There's people banging on the doors, banging on the windows, you know, masked men popping up everywhere they look. And this is now where they decide they're going to have to fight, right? They start trying to put together some kind of like a rudimentary weapon.
1: And yeah, he's like, there's got to be something here we can use. And he asks her something like, do you have scissors? It's like, No, I don't have scissors. We just left everything in the car. Uh, I have a map that you held upside down, genius, but I don't have scissors.
0: In all fairness, if he did have scissors, he'd probably be holding them upside down. Exactly. (laughs) I'm stabbing him with the handles. It's not working. And she's like, fucking genius, turn him upside down. (laughs) So, yeah, so they don't have, like, and, and, you know,
1: if you look around yourself any hotel room that you're in, um, you know, there really isn't a lot that you could use as a weapon. In um, most hotels, everything is glued down anyway, um, you know, and, and this, so, you know, you kind of know as they're doing that, you also think to yourself, okay, they're really, it's not just that they're outnumbered. It's not just that they're being, they're trapped in this hotel room and they're, they're not familiar with the area or anything, but they they don't have the firepower that anybody else will
0: have. And if I recall, the only weapon he uh, gets is, what, he breaks some mirror in the bathroom and he kind of grabs the sharp piece, so he has a little knife if he needs to use it.
1: Which is always... People do that on the movie in the movies all the time, and all I know is if I smashed a window or a mirror and grabbed a piece of glass, I would still cut my hand. I mean, I, granted, I think he used a shirt or something, a towel or something, but, you know, this is not... Uh, this is no match to anybody who literally has a paring
0: knife. Um, you know, you're, you're really at a disadvantage. Yeah. And again, in fairness, he is holding the glass knife upside down. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. Uh, okay. So, yeah, at one point, basically they're now trapped. I think at this point we cut to a scene of the manager, Mason, and we go to his office and he's just, what, watching david and amy and he has like six computer monitors all around his office and all these vcrs and stuff and he's recording everything and so you basically see the entire operation for what it is here and again this is the hh holmes murder castle that's all this is exactly and you know you say it's computer monitors
1: and you may be right i thought that they were tvs
0: tv yeah yeah i just had the wrong word it was okay
1: yeah because because we're not talking high tech here nothing here it it's by even by 2007 standards we are talking vcr's i mean uh, you know we're we're not talking um you know uh, there's no digital cameras here but again every
0: inch of that room is covered by some sort of camera yeah and that's that's the whole industry here they have a burgeoning you know you know family small business going on here you know, they film people in this room, they get murdered, then they sell the highlights of their snuff films to truckers that are driving by. And, and apparently they're making a lot of money off this. Because like Steve said, there's, we have like 80 people that have died so far. We see a whole collection of tapes on the wall.
1: 80 people who apparently had nobody in their lives who cared about them. Um, so, And, you know, I also have to, to wonder... I, granted you can't get it's a horror movie so it is what it is but um somebody had to have escaped before these people like like you're telling me that luke wilson and kate Beckinsale are the only people who out of 80 people have been able to escape or who've been able to think oh gee we we came close to i mean even jeffrey dahmer had people
0: who escaped <laughs> jeffrey dahmer I... I mean, not to get too graphic, but Dahmer was drilling holes in people's heads, and they still escaped. And they still somehow
1: managed to get out. So, so, I mean, I would think that I would like to think, and this is just me, um, that that I think I would have some of the tools to escape this situation if I had gotten in it. And the first the first tool would be that I wouldn't have stayed there in the first place.
0: All right, all right, that's a solid argument. I'll I'll give you that one. (laughs) Okay, so they're trapped in the room now and these guys are circling them outside, just waiting to come in, you know, waiting to deal the death blow and the lights are flickering on, flickering off. They're just trying to scare them. And this is where, like I said, you may disagree with this, but my friend Matt always says, well, they make smart choices in the movie. Okay, so she falls asleep. She takes a sleeping pill, which, okay, maybe that's not a smart move. But Luke Wilson decides... I'm going to start watching these snuff films and I'm going to take some notes because I want to see if these killers make any mistakes, which is actually a very clever way to approach this situation.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're already in there and you got to figure something out. I probably wouldn't have been watching it to see what their mistakes were. I would probably be watching it to say, well, I wonder how I'm going to die. Um, but yes, I,
0: yeah, that, that was well done, I think. Yeah, so he starts watching all these tapes And the observation he makes is that basically, you know, these people in the room make the same mistake every time they think the room will protect them, but it doesn't because the killers have some way to get into the room without the door. And so, yeah, yeah, he figures it out. He notices, okay, this guy just
1: appears all the time and we don't know where he appears from. And then they figure out that he appears from the bathroom somehow. And so he goes in the bathroom and starts looking around.
0: Yeah, so David goes into the bathroom. He looks around. I forget if she's there. I think she's sleeping or something. I kind of forget. Anyway, he notices there's a rug in the bathroom and underneath it, there's a trap door. And he's like, aha, that's the key to these snuff films. These guys, they have a way into the room that doesn't involve the front door or the window. So now they realize there's another variable here in play, this trap door. Yes. And again, I would say that if I went into a
1: hotel and there was a rug on the bathroom floor, um, that w- I, would, I would probably want to look under it anyway because I would be like, that's weird. Nobody puts a rug in the
0: bathroom. Yeah, like I said, this is one of those movies that really affects me. And I remember, like, if, if I'm ever in a little, mo- little motel in the middle of nowhere, I'm looking under rugs in the bathroom. <laughs> like, this movie has warped me.
1: So, yeah, I mean, so they they find this thing in the bathroom. And and I got to say that once uh, once they found it, I kind of felt like this is where the movie really kind of becomes, in a good way, more chaotic, because there's more than just that one room now that we're going to be, you know, uh, it kind of expands the terror a little bit more. So I think it was... It was, a good, it was good to add this, um, and we needed something at this point to kind of, you know, we'd seen them in that room long enough. Now it was time to figure out what's next.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, this movie would be, very, would be very stale if it was just a one-act play in one room. So once the trap door opens, they look down, and there's a whole series of tunnels that go all over the place. And it, it's really going to become more of an action suspense movie now than a horror movie. And maybe that's why, like I said, I might not classify this as straight horror. There's going to be a lot of chasing going on. Right. Oh, yeah, exactly. I agree. Yeah, it's kind of like the movie. Have you seen uh, Panic Room? I love Panic Room. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same thing. You can't just have the movie in the panic room. Jodie Foster has to get out of the panic room. You, you have to expand the environment to make it all, all more suspenseful. Exactly. And that's what they do here. And they do it, I would say, very effectively. Okay, before we get into the tunnels, we got to do the truck driver scene, which is a great little suspense scene. Okay, so they're about to climb down the tunnels to see what's down there, and they see a light outside their window. And they're like, hey, a visitor's coming to the motel. Maybe we'll have some help. So they go outside, they see a truck driver, and they start trying to wave to attract his attention. And I'll give you this one, Steve. What happens with the truck driver? Well, you know,
1: the truck driver comes out, and they're waving at him through the, you know, they're like, oh, here's our rescuer. They're waving at him through the mirror or through the window, and then the, the bad guys start following the truck driver. And you think, okay, this is where the truck driver dies. And so then all of a sudden the whole tele- tele- manager comes out and hands him this box of videotapes. Um, and there were like 10 tapes in there. I wonder how much you paid for it. Um, but hands in the box of videotapes and then the trucker walks away. So then they realize, oh, okay, he, this trucker is buying these tapes. Uh, like they kind of put it together and I think they understand this trucker is not going to help us right now. Again, I know there are lots of sociopaths in the world, but it's one thing to buy some videotapes of snuff films, which again is creepy and everything, but you would sort of think that somebody might not be OK with the fact that we just saw that, looked into the eyes of people who are about to die and drove away. But OK.
0: It's a truck driver.
1: They're, they're a different breed, Steve. Apparently so. I mean, you know what? Truck drivers are often villains in movies. So I guess why should this be different?
0: but but yeah apparently there's a huge burgeoning industry of truck drivers that just drive through this town stop at this little motel and pay mason for what they call the good stuff so so this truck driver now owns 10 of the greatest hit snuff films that mason has ever produced apparently this is the big industry here in this town it's kind of i mean it's not like it's an enormous box but
1: You know, it's a box of, uh, you know, remember you used to be able to buy blank videotapes in in packs of five, well, back in the day, it's at least twice that size. So, you know, there's a lot of videotapes in there. And and how much of this can you watch? After a while, you just want to watch a repeat of (laughs) Frasier.
0: You know, you and I may be a different breed of cat here, Steve, but I'm guessing, there's a wild guess here that people who enjoy watching snuff films will continue to enjoy watching snuff films? I, I mean, I, after I watched
1: a scary movie, I, I put on some sitcom
0: somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't mean to kink shame people who are into snuff films, but... I
1: mean, you do you, but... Uh...
0: <laughs> now, now, how much do you think the truck, truck driver was paying for, the, for, what, 10 snuff films? What do you think the going rate probably was? So that's another question. It's like,
1: I don't want to stereotype, but truck drivers generally make between fifty dollars and $75,000 a year. So it's not like they have thousands and thousands of dollars to spend on snuff films. You still got to pay your mortgage. You got to eat. You whatever. So how much could these be going for? $100 each? That's not, that's not that much for the risk and the liability that they may take making these. So I don't know. I, I I don't know how much can you afford to pay for these on a truck driver's salary, and how many do they have to sell to, to break even?
0: Yeah, we really need a novelization of this movie, because there's so many questions. Like, how much is he paying for these? And now, admittedly, there's 10 movies here, so that means there's at least 10 missing people from this area right now. Right. And, and... Nobody has asked about those 10 people. And granted, I get it. You're going to,
1: you know, you get some good content. You're going to duplicate it a bunch of times. There must have been some sort of, we never saw it, but there must have been some sort of videotape duplicating center somewhere. Um, you know, because you can't, you have to do it yourself. I mean, it's a bigger operation than you think about. And I think to myself, could three men really just do this whole, this whole thing? I don't know. Because, um, you know, after you've killed this unwitting couple, somebody has to bury them, that's gonna take a day. So,
0: you know, there's a lot to do. I love that Steve has hosted a TV show on murder, so he knows all the logistics on what you have to do after the murder. He's had people tell him this.
1: I mean, murder is a logistical nightmare um, because, because, you know, you're trying to eliminate the evidence, which is one thing, but on top of it all, you have to eliminate the suspicion. I don't, I know how you could have eliminated suspicion with this one particular couple because their car was found two miles away, but other people, I mean, you have to get rid of all sorts of stuff. And it's when you really think about it, you know, everybody has sat around before and talked about, oh, well, if I had to dispose a body, how would I do it?
0: Yeah. Great. How are you going to do it? 80 times. Yeah. So this is our advice to all the kids who are listening out there. If you're thinking of opening a murder motel, think about the logistics first. It's a lot more difficult than you think it would be. It really would be.
1: And then on top of it all, I I mean, I don't like to clean, but (laughs) some cleaning has to be done.
0: Yeah, because these are all stabbings. If you notice from the tapes, most of these murders are stabbing. So those are going to be messy. I
1: mean, it's not that the hotel, I mean, obviously the hotel room is is, uh, not a clean hotel room. Which is also a little bit strange, because how do you just clean up the blood but still leave the dirt and grime? Like, it would feel like it would almost have to be a very, very clean hotel room for this to work.
0: Maybe that's what the third guy does. To to spoil this movie for, for people, there's three guys. There's the manager, Mason, there's the mechanic, Ethan Embry, and there's a third guy. So maybe the third guy cleans the room. Maybe that's his, his contribution to this whole uh, industry. I mean, he's got to have something to do.
1: I mean, every, uh, you know, uh, you know, with every criminal enterprise, there's one person who feels like I am carrying this whole thing. <laughs> and I, I kind of feel like maybe the manager feels that way. He does sort of seem to be the boss. So,
0: Well, hopefully he at least gets like a, a 75% cut of the royalties just because he's carrying the load. Oh, by the way, Steve. So I just Googled. I looked up on eBay how much it costs to buy a snuff film, and and now I'm on a government watch list. So uh, thank you for that. Well,
1: as long you know what, I've been on the government watch list ever since I became a crime writer, and nobody ever
0: comes. Kind of, I mean, granted, I have a very good excuse. So. Okay. Well, I would like to hear from my listeners. How much do you think the ten pack of snuff films was going for in this movie? Because we can't decide how much we think the uh going right was yeah i mean and and, and
1: at some point i mean again this is one of those things that and my, my thing about murder movies and things like that is i ask too many questions so uh and this is a i just need to enjoy the ride
0: no that's good that that was a good discussion it was uh, like i said we're sitting here trying to make people appreciate this movie. And I think we'll probably people will probably laugh listening to that part of the podcast. Now they will seek out this movie and watch it again as they try to answer these unanswerable questions. So I feel like we're doing our job.
1: And you can reach, anybody who listens to this can reach out to me and any answers or help that you have for me will be appreciated.
0: <laughs> all right. So as the truck driver is out there buying his 10 pack of snuff films, David and Amy decide, you know, they're all distracted outside. We'll go down into the tunnels. Again, smart decision. So let's go down there and see if we can get out that way. So they go into these tunnels and they're very tight, very claustrophobic. Uh, If you're a claustrophobe, you may not appreciate these scenes. Are you claustrophobic, Steve?
1: No, I don't know if you remember. I actually did a reality show where I was in a cave.
0: Oh, yeah, you did. Uh, Naked and afraid, right? Well, I did that, but I also did
1: one called um, uh, Darkness, which never really went anywhere. But it was, they put me in a cave in the dark and I had to try and find my way out. It was for the Discovery Channel. And uh, that's when I learned that I am not claustrophobic. Um, you can put me under a million pounds of rock uh, crawling through a little thing and it does not bother me.
0: Wow. All right, then. Okay, so uh, right after this podcast, apparently Steve's going to go explore the Nutty Putty Cave. I- why not, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hopefully you guys know what nutty putty is. That's a pretty good joke. Anyway, anyway, so uh, David and Amy go down in the tunnels and they crawl and they, the first place they end up is they pop up in the manager's office. They go up in Mason's office and this is where they see the whole setup, like for the snuff film operation there. They see the, the TVs and the monitors and the cameras and stuff. And they're like, holy shit, what, <laughs> what kind of place are we sleeping in? I mean, Really, they, they're
1: more surprised than they should be, because kind of at this point, if I saw the bank of TV screens, I'd be like, yeah, 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 of course, that's what, it, of course, like, I would have been surprised if anything else, you found anything else there, but I think that they did make a tactical error in the direction of this, that should have been the big reveal for the control panel, but we'd seen it before. I think it would have been better if we hadn't seen that one scene with the manager watching it and then we see it when the when our protagonists see it. I think that would have made more sense.
0: That's a really good point, actually. And I 100% agree with you. That would have been a great reveal.
1: And so, I mean, we already knew that that was coming. And so their shock and surprise, we could watch that, but we had no shock. Apparently,
0: they missed the first part of the movie.
1: Apparently so. Well, I mean, you know, you can only watch one thing, and they were watching snuff films, so.
0: <laughs> well, they were watching them for free, so they technically got a better deal than the truck driver.
1: I mean, that's true. It's like, well, you know, it, it's, it's like, uh, you know, talent is often given a lot of perks that, you know, the rest, everybody else isn't. <laughs> so,
0: so, so that was in their goodie bag at the end of taping? They each got a snuff film? As somebody who's gotten all sorts of crappy things as, t- as, quote, unquote, talent
1: for TV shows, a snuff film, I'd be like, yeah, of course I got a snuff film.
0: So <laughs> I'm just picturing Kate Beckinsale going home and watching the snuff film that she got as her gift.
1: Just, like, yeah, exactly. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> You know, I really hope you guys are enjoying this episode because we're having a lot of fun with it. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, so so Kate Beckinsale's back in the manager's office and she finds the phone and she sa- decides to call 911 again. Again, let's get the cops here. So she picks up the phone and she makes a partial call, but she doesn't finish it because Mason, Mason and the killers come back in the office. So David and Amy have to duck back down into the tunnels. But if I recall, uh, the manager Mason discovers the phone off the hook and he's like, "Shit, they've been in my office. They've called the cops." So he knows they're kind of becoming on thin ice at this point. This, this snuff film is not going well.
1: And this is, a, it's a landline that, the, that she calls. And it's one of those landlines. This is not um, a Mary Tyler Moore phone from the seventies. Now, now this, this phone that they used is one of those black ones. That's that, that, um, you know, I kind of saw a lot of in the eighties. So we're kind of moving up in our phones, but, The random thing that he does is he slams the phone back down and then he pulls the cord out and shoves it in his pocket. I don't know why, but he does. So, um, you know, uh, and so that's his way of disabling the phone. And, uh, but now 911 knows where they are.
0: Yeah, although she doesn't know that. She's not aware if the call went through or not. So anyway, they're back in the tunnels and now they're being chased. The bad guys are coming after them. And again, there's like three or four different entrances from the ground down into the tunnels. So they're not, not entirely sure which direction they should go. And they pick a different direction this time. And now they end up across the street in the uh, gas station. Which, honestly, it's a much better place to find
1: weapons than, than your hotel room. Um, you know, again, who dug these tunnels? <laughs> I mean, I have some questions here. Were the tunnels there before the snuff film? And did they build the hotel on top of tunnels for a reason? Like nobody explains it. Tunnels don't just appear. You have to dig them and you have to find ways to transport the dirt out of the tunnel. And nobody explains how that was done.
0: (laughs) It's funny. I know you'll appreciate this because... You know, you have done so many TV shows on murder, just like you. I've read many, many, many true crime books over the years. And, and I know one thing that murderers have mentioned is how hard it is to dig a grave. Like, do you guys know how much work it is just to dig one grave for one person? Like, these tunnels would have taken years. Yes. I mean, just like, okay, a grave
1: to dig six feet. In real dirt. I mean, it's not like digging a digging a hole in the sand at the beach that you can go underneath the sand. It's not like that. I mean, it is digging is hard work, and you don't know what you're gonna find. You, you don't know if you're gonna find roots of some tree. You don't know if you're gonna find a boulder. You just don't know. So these the tunnels that they had truly, um, like you said, would have taken years and would have taken
0: a lot of Heavy machinery to do. So you don't think Frank Whaley was digging these things himself? I mean, obviously, you know what? Maybe
1: I'm wrong. I've never tried. Um, I should go in my backyard and try it and see what happens. But um, no, I mean, you say that digging is hard. I go, I've gone in my backyard and dug things up so that i could put down you know river rocks to make it pretty and it's a thing so i don't know i don't know how how they did all this and and again the gas station is a good hundred yards from the
0: from the hotel i mean uh, that's digging well okay it does bring up an interesting question steve Perhaps there's more than three people involved in this uh, snuff film operation. Like, maybe this whole town is in on this. And that's how people can disappear, and there's never an investigation. Maybe there's like, you know, dozens and dozens of people that have built this place. So maybe it's a much bigger organization than we realize.
1: Well, then there's a missed opportunity, because that's your movie right there. That's a good movie. Um, this whole town that gets together, the old lady, the, the, you know, the diner lady, that is a story that, that I'd watch. Um, you know, because I want to know everything about this town.
0: Maybe Frank Whaley's like Willy Wonka and he brought in all the Oompa Loompas to dig the tunnels. That would work too. (laughs) Okay, so let's get to the cop scene here. So they're across the street now in the garage and they, they make a smart move. They block the trap door so nobody can come up after them. They push a big tool chest over it. Again, smart move. Yeah. They're actually making some good moves here. So, And now they just kind of wait and blah, blah, blah. I think there's a whole plot here where they decide if they get through this night, they're going to stay together and not get divorced, which I don't really care about. But I guess for the movie, you need it. I mean, but... You
1: know, um, this couple is not staying together. Just so you know, because the first sign that anything goes wrong, she's going to be like, "Hey, do you remember when you made that wrong turn? You held the map upside down, and we almost died." (laughs) Like like, like, that's going to come up again in in every argument. Like, you know, sure, yes, that's true. So maybe I spent too much money on this dress, but remember when you almost killed us? Like. He can never
0: win another argument, ever. Honey, why won't you ever let me forget our night in the death motel? Why won't you just let it drop? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so this couple is not staying together, just so you know. Okay, so as they're across the street in the garage, the bad guys are all looking for them, and, and Mason's pissed because he's like, you know, our first victim ever to get away from our criminal mastermind organization. <laughs> the first one ever, they got away. <sighs> I mean,
1: you know what I say that they're not great criminals, but you can't argue with the, with those
0: numbers. you can't absolutely yeah that, that that's a world record right there. I don't
1: know what the what what the record is for serial killers, but eighty is a I, we're just saying eighty because there were eighty tapes, but each of these tapes has more than
0: one person on it. So it could be 160, it could be 200, I don't know. They killed a lot of people. Never doubt a champion, Steve. How dare you cast aspersions on them? (laughs) Yeah, so as they're waiting in the garage, you know, everyone's panicking outside, all the bad guys are, and here comes a police officer. And remember, Kate Beckinsale made the uh, phone call earlier to 911, and, and somehow it went through. So this cop has come here to check out the 911 call. And now we get another really fun, tense scene where is this a real cop or is this somebody else who's just here to buy snuff tapes? Who's in on this. So they're not really sure whether to trust this cop or not. He looked like of everybody in the movie. He looked like the one most likely to buy a snuff film.
1: The cop. Did, he really did. He was, he comes from central casting as like the backwoods top looking guy. He's an older guy. It's just, and again, my take on it would be because you know, I don't know how many cops there are in that small town that they're in or in their County or whatever, but wouldn't they have sent two cops? Wouldn't like, doesn't, don't they travel with a partner? Um, You know, cops don't normally do. Look, a great example is somebody called the cops on me one time when I was living in an apartment, I was in my twenties and, and a cop knocked on. They didn't recognize me. They saw me going into my own apartment a cop, so a cop comes to the door. I, he's like, do you live here? I'm like, yeah, let me get my driver's license. I give it to him. He's like, okay, can we just make sure everything's okay? And all of a sudden, the uh, second cop just materializes out of nowhere um, because he was around the corner. And I, apparently in case I started shooting, I don't know. So um, that's what they do. They don't just send one cop out in the middle of the night from a 911 hang-up cop. Two
0: cops would have come. I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a good argument. Uh, again, the, the vacancy universe is a very strange one, my friend. Apparently so. It may have been the
1: only cop in the, in the, in the area.
0: I don't know. But, you know, he did not have a partner. Yeah, and like you said, he did look like he would uh, possibly be in the market for some snuff porn. I would not have trusted him. I'm just saying. I would not have trusted him. Yeah, and to be fair, they don't just watch. You know, as the cop goes and the cop's talking to Mason, they're just kind of watching out the window. As the cop starts investigating and the cop's like, you know, we got a a call, an SOS call from this motel. Can I check it out? And Mason's like, sure, yeah, check it out. So the cop goes and starts poking around the rooms and you can see Mason getting nervous in the background. Again, very tense scene because if I recall, the cop eventually goes into room four, the honeymoon suite, and he pops in one of the VHS snuff films. And much to our surprise, he's not turned on by it. He's horrified. Okay, so my thing about that
1: is, why would he have looked at the videotapes? Like I, that doesn't seem like something. You're just looking to make sure that there's no dead bodies, that there's nobody being held. You know, you're not you're not looking to be like, oh, gee, is this is this you know free willy? You're you're. So I don't know why he did that, but it was great for the plot.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm looking for a dead body. Might as well look inside this VCR in case it's in here. I mean. If it's a VCR, I mean, I don't know.
1: Every VCR tape that I have from that era, I still have a box of them somewhere, has like, um, you know, has like repeats of Friends or, you know, uh, whatever. So I don't know what he was expecting to find, but he was certainly surprised to find a snuff film.
0: Yeah, and to be fair, the cop is fairly competent. He realizes something weird is going on here. He see, what, sees broken glass in the room. He sees some blood and he's like, all right, what's going on? And he pulls out his gun. And so he's going to get the chance to actually be a competent cop in a horror movie, but he's not going to get the chance because our, our beloved heroes are going to distract him and get him killed, which I love. Anyway, they're across the street. David and Amy are like, help, help. They realize the cops for real. And at some point during this whole confusion, a bad guy comes up into the garage from the tunnels, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: you know, at this point, we're just, um, you know, I don't think anybody was sitting watching this movie and thought, OK, this is how this this is how it ends and they get away. Because, you know, I think it was too obvious. Once you realize that this was a good a good cop, you knew that he wasn't probably going to, to live.
0: But wouldn't that be a fun, satisfying horror movie if the, the cop just shows up at 45 minutes, solves the crime and arrests the bad guy? Wouldn't that be a fun twist? <laughs> okay, so yeah, so, so David and Amy, they start screaming, help, help us. They run out of the gas station and the cop runs over to them. He's like, what's up? And they're like, we're the ones who called, were, we're in danger. And he's like, all right, get in the police car, let's get out of here. But the police car has been disabled. And as the cops trying to, you know, fiddle under the hood to try to fix the car, one of the bad guys sneaks up behind him and and brutally stabs him in the back. And if I recall, that's the first murder, the first actual murder we've actually seen in this movie. It's true. And I did think to myself, this is
1: the first time that they saw it happen, that our heroes saw it happen, not on videotape. And, you know if i if this whole thing had been happening to me, I would have been scared, I would have been you know I would have been terrified, but in the back of my mind, I might have still been thinking, I wonder if I'm being messed with if I'm being punked in some way um you know this is too crazy to be true, but they' they actually see somebody get really murdered in front
0: of them, yeah, and the movie's almost over i I actually kind of forgot about that. We're almost to the end here, all right, so let's wrap this up so. David and Amy in the scuffle with the cop and all the confusion they somehow run back to their main room to room 4 and they avoid all the bad guys who are trying to kill the cop and get rid of his car and get it off the road. So this is where David and Amy come up with a cool plan. Instead of staying in room 4, they're going to go into the adjoining room next to them room 3 which theoretically has no cameras or anything. And I think if I believe they they cover up the cameras in their room and they sneak into the next room room 3 And they break a window in the back. So it looks like they snuck out the bathroom and they've escaped and ran. And then they go up into the ceiling tiles and they just kind of hide there for a while as the bad guys get confused and look around for them.
1: Yeah. I mean, at this point, they've been in the tunnel. They might as well go up into the ceiling. So, I mean, why not?
0: Okay. So they spend the night up in the ceiling panels in the room with no camera, room three, And they just spend the night there and they make it look like they got away. And and they figure, you know, the next morning in the daylight, we can maybe get out of here and sneak out and they won't see us. And and it seems to work. They spend the night there, they cuddle, they fall asleep. And then uh, the next morning they wake up, they climb down from the ceiling panels and it's daylight. And they're like, well, you know, maybe we have a chance to get out of here. Maybe we're actually going to survive. But unfortunately, Luke Wilson is not going to get very far. No.
1: And I also have to say, I always get a little bit, it's crazy to me that in after all that they've seen and everything that there's a scene where they actually sleep a little bit. Um, I have had times where I've gotten a a bill that I didn't expect. And I, I haven't slept well that night because I'm like, Oh, how am I going to find the money for this bill? Yet people in the movies can see a terrible murder and can fall asleep. Like I don't get it. Like I would
0: not have slept. And I, I can't imagine that being in the ceiling is comfortable anyway. Well, to be fair, she had a whole buttload of like sleeping pills with her. So uh, perhaps there was some chemistry involved in this process. Well, I, at, at this point, I just might have taken
1: enough of them. I could have been like, look, I'm going to die tonight, but you're not going to get it on film.
0: Yeah, no no horny trucker is ever going to see my death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I, I was playing a video game the other night and I was, I, I tried to go to sleep. And I was stuck on a level and I was so pissed off I couldn't get past this level that I couldn't sleep. I had to wake up and go back and do the level over again. So that's the extent of how well I could sleep during a, you know, active murder attempt on my life or something. You know, it's funny because
1: you when you watch this movie, it does almost feel like a jump where all of a sudden it's everything's been taking place in the dark and all of a sudden the sun is out and it's a beautiful day, by the way. It's like the sky is blue, the grass is green, and all of a sudden, we're in the middle of the day, it feels like. It's it's not even like sunrise. It's like 10 in the morning.
0: Yeah, it makes me wonder how they... Because the next 10 minutes of the movie will all be in the daylight, and it makes me wonder how they filmed this, considering it was all an indoor set. Good question. I have no idea. Okay, so anyway, Luke Wilson jumps down from the ceiling panel, and he peeks out the front door to see if they can run to safety. And he is immediately stabbed in the chest by the killer who's waiting there. So, Luke Wilson brutally stabbed in the chest and he falls down and, you know, the bad guys all collapse onto him, the two bad guys plus the manager and and one of them's got a video camera in his face, like, get his death, we need to get his death on camera, We we gotta see his final moments. So, it's a very sad moment when we lose our hero.
1: Yeah, you know, and I gotta say, I remember the first time watching it being like, okay, I guess they don't both survive. But you, you also kind of know at this point when Luke Wilson gets stabbed, you're like, OK, well, clearly Kate Beckinsale is going to live because, you know, <laughs> I do think it would be funny sometime to have a movie like this where the very final scene, they're both just dead and the camera just pans out. And, you know, there you go. But, you know, you kind of know that Kate Beckinsale is now safe.
0: Yeah, it's her movie now. It's uh, <laughs> Sarah Jessica Parker's turn to shine. Yes. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, okay, so these are the last couple minutes of the movie. Uh, Luke Wilson's been stabbed. He's laying there dead in the doorway, basically, and I think uh, Kate Beckinsale waits like a whole day up in the ceiling panels. I forget how long she's up there. But the next day, she pops down quietly and drops down, and she's going to run for help. And as she climbs down from the ceiling, you see one of the killers in the room standing right behind her. It's a... It's not really a jump scare, but it's a cool little uh, chill moment. She'd walk down and you see the shadow right behind her. And uh, anyway, she goes outside and finds her car. And this is the only scene in the movie I don't really love. Because I think it's a little too convenient how quickly she kills these two thugs. Well, it's also...
1: Okay, notice, I don't think she puts on her seatbelt. So let's start there. Um, yes, but yeah, she gets in her car and... They do the traditional, you know, will it start type of thing. It doesn't start just long enough for one of the bad guys to launch himself through the sunroof. <laughs> so he's half in, half out. And I don't know what he's trying to do, to be perfectly honest, because he, his legs are out of the sunroof and he's trying to – she's driving and he's, he's not even, like, trying to get his hands around her throat. He's just kind of – waving his hands around. I don't know what, his, what the plan is
0: here. Remember Steve, these are the most successful serial killers in world history.
1: Of all time, I tell you. It's like, you know, but so he's doing that and she's driving and she's speeding around and you can, you can tell what happens next and then I'll give you my thoughts.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, okay. So she drives the car at full speed towards the motel cause she's gonna try to, you know, kill any of the bad guys that she can. And for some reason, one of the killers walks out of one of the rooms right when she crashes into the building. So she like runs right into him. It's very convenient. So she hits him and then the bad guy in the sunroof when she crashes the car, I'm assuming basically gets cut in half if you think of the physics of this. So she basically kills the two thugs, you know, in one shot. And then she sees, you know, one of them was uh, Ethan Embry, the mechanic. And the other thug was apparently the house cleaner. (laughs) We're not sure. So, okay, yeah. So so, what are your thoughts on her big double murder scene?
1: I mean, Ethan Embry just kind of walks out of the room, just, you know, there he is. Um, and it's just so convenient that she hits one. And, you know, you see he has kind of a death scene where for a second it's like, you know, the life is leaving him and everything. The one who's in the sunroof, we don't really see his death. All of a sudden he's just bloody. So, uh, you know, it was... At this point, there's literally like five minutes left in the movie, and we just got to get rid of these killers. So I'm not shocked that it, I wasn't shocked when it happened, but I, 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 it felt, I felt like we needed a more, tr- uh, a more significant death for them, and we didn't get it. Um, you know, they have been torturing people for I don't know how long, and they die pretty quickly, and and, and it's not. It's not even
0: any sort of poetic justice. They're hit by a car. Yeah, I would have preferred, like, you know, she drops down from the sun, the ceiling panel and she sees one of the guys below. She drops down with a knife, stabs him in the throat. Like that would have been kind of a cool badass ending. But it, exactly, it feels like yeah, it feels like a cop out the way they do it in the movie. And when and when she
1: drops down and stabs him, you see the cameras still rolling. That are something, um, but but yeah. So anyway they they both die so quickly and so suddenly that it's like, oh, okay, so now it's just one left. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's like a double elimination on Survivor where you're like, okay, now the tribe is small. Uh, it's the same thing here. It's like, you know, so, you know, what you're seeing now in this last few, all of a sudden it feels like you're watching, like, Die Hard, where Bruce Willis is just, like, getting rid of everybody.
0: It feels like this was the whole point of the movie. Like we have to turn Kate Beckinsale into a badass so she can start killing people. Except for she's not really a badass. She just drove the car. My grandma could have done that. She could have drove into somebody. Exactly. I mean, it wasn't even like,
1: we didn't even get treated to the scene of, you know, Ethan Embry comes stumbling out of the room from doing from doing God knows what. And, you don't even get the moment where she's like, you—they close in on her face and she gets this, this diabolical look,
0: like I'm gonna take him out. It's not that. I think it, she just gets in an accident. Yeah, she needed a catchphrase, like a, like an Arnold Schwarzenegger catchphrase, right at that moment. Yeah, and she had none. But anyway. I guess I'll be driving up prices at this motel, or you know, something like that. <laughs> Okay, so now the two thugs are killed. It's really just her against the level boss, the, the last one she has to kill, who, of course, is the kid from Pulp Fiction. It's the big kahuna burger guy, Frank Whaley. And, you know, he, there's a moment where he sees that the other two are dead, um,
1: you know, and he gets angry and upset and everything, um, which you'd think that he'd be used to death by now. I mean, I don't know why it's so, suddenly so shocking to him.
0: <laughs> he, he was mad that he didn't capture their deaths on film. Exactly.
1: It's, I mean, let's face it. If one of them could have captured the other two's death on film, well, there's the end of your series. Like, now sell it for a million.
0: Yeah, he's pissed because, you know, he sees his two thugs, his digger and his house cleaner. They're dead. Again, it's it's sad. It's another small family business ruined, So, <laughs> no, The whole business is gone now. So uh, she basically runs into his office because she knows Frank Whaley has a couple of, you know, pistols up there above the counter. And she gets in there and, and a fistfight ensues, basically, Frank Whaley against Kate Beckinsale. And at one point, he starts choking her out with a belt. And then she has the, uh, the great catchphrase. You love the catchphrases in these action movies where she kicks Frank Whaley in the nuts and says, fuck you. Yes. I mean,
1: um, and, and what kills me is I don't know how many writers there are on this one, but that's what they came up with.
0: Again, not a quip. Nothing about, you know, I'm going to put you out of business. No, it's, fuck you. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, she uh, she fights him off. She beats up Frank Whaley. She pulls out the gun and she shoots him and he's dead. And, and that's it. She has survived the night. Now, remind me, is this the gun that she found hanging on a display on the wall? I believe so. I mean, he takes one down from the wall. She takes another one down. They're like these old Western revolvers like you'd see in the Quick and the Dead. I think that's the gun.
1: But it looks like a decoration. It doesn't look like um, it doesn't look like they would be working. She pulls a gun. For those who haven't seen it, there's like a display over the over one of the doorways that looks like an old Western display of guns that if I saw it, I would be I would think, oh, there's no way that those are real guns because, you know, it's just you know, it's just the motif of the hotel. Um, but apparently,
0: not only are they guns that work, but they're loaded. Well, remember, they are the most successful killers in the history of the world. So they want loaded guns hanging around just in case. I mean, sure, but why would you display it over the... Okay, but anyway. I'm not entirely sure that's the gun he was shot with. I didn't take that in my notes. So it may have been a real gun. I'm, I'm not sure. Nonetheless, he's shot. Um, and,
1: and... You know, again, that to me was a unsatisfying end to him. I kind of felt like he needed something maybe a little more gruesome, um, a little more poetic, whatever. I mean, our job here is to pick these movies apart. I liked it. I really did. But they could have added an extra five minutes and given us good good deaths.
0: Well, you, you know what would have been really apt? As if uh, she recited Ezekiel 25, 17 before she blew him away. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers.
1: Oh, that would have been great. And then only the people who watched Pul- Pulp Fiction would have known.
0: And you will know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon you. <laughs> Yeah, so Kate Beckinsale becomes the badass, you know, kills the bad guys, and that should be the end of the movie. But the movie decides you need a happier ending, and I take a little offense at this. And I've seen other people gripe about this too, where instead of the credits rolling right here, she goes over to check on her husband, Luke Wilson, and hey, guess what? He survived his snuffing at the hands of the murderer. They stabbed him many, many times, but he's not dead. He's just laying there all bloody, perfectly still alive. He was stabbed in the chest.
1: So at the very least, he should be gasping for air with a collapsed lung. And at the worst, his heart should have stopped. And you also get the feeling like, okay, he's going to be okay. Which, you know, um, I would, you know, I kind of feel like my death is going to be something ridiculous, like a broken leg that's just going to somehow go septic and kill me. Um, But he's going to be okay. We kind of know that he will be.
0: Yeah, so it uh, ends on a very happy ending where he's okay and he's uh, holding his chest wound. Although, because it's Luke Wilson, he's holding it upside down. Exactly. (laughs) But she pulls out her cell phone or whatever and finds it has been laying on the ground the whole time. So she calls 911 and... uh, No,
1: she doesn't do that. She 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 pulls the cord that the manager has put in his pocket. Somehow she knows where it is. She like just walks over, reaches into the correct pocket, pulls it out, plugs it into the landline, and then calls calls the cop.
0: That's right, yeah, yeah, and and, and that's the end of the movie. It's just uh, the credits roll now, right? Because they're both gonna survive.
1: They're both gonna survive. I kind of feel like we need an aftermath movie of their marriage counseling, <laughs> um, because there there's gonna be a lot to unpack from this oh, from this horrible night.
0: Well, well, I know they made a vacancy too, right? But Something tells me it's not just them in marriage counseling. No, I mean,
1: honestly, I would watch the marriage counseling, and and I'm not even team Kate Beckinsale on this one necessarily. Although I think that she has a much, um, a much more valid argument about all the ways that he failed her on this on this night. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, I also feel like, you know, I feel like this was there was no winning for either of these two.
0: So, survival is not enough of a win for you?
1: No, I kind of feel like there needed to be some redemption, and there really wasn't a lot of redemption here. They survived because they had to, and they survived because these prolific serial killers just didn't do a good job.
0: And And that's really all you can say. At the end of the day, they just failed. I mean, they had their chance, and they were foiled by Kate Beckinsale and Luke Wilson, which is not how you want to go down in history. They were, I mean, let's face it, they
1: had them outnumbered, they had them out, out um, they had more weapons, they had these people in the dark in a hotel room that they didn't know anything about on property and in a town that they knew nothing about. They had the element of surprise and they still failed.
0: You know, my friend, sometimes the smallest of warriors can defeat the mightiest of armies. I mean, have you not heard of the American Revolution? I, that's true. I mean, if we're talking about plot holes,
1: putting the snuff films, those particular snuff films, in the room where people were going to be killed, I get that the point is to make them scared, but it also gives them, it takes away the element of surprise. You know, maybe maybe there would have been another way to freak them out. I mean, just the Apple alone could have freaked them out enough without letting them know you know, signaling to them that, okay, you are about to be murdered and it's going to all be on film.
0: I can't dispute any of that. Those are all good arguments. Yet, yet, despite all that, I still love this movie. I do too. I mean, I'm making all these comments.
1: I mean, if I don't like a movie, I don't give it this much thought. So
0: yeah, again, it's a goofy movie. It's, it's a horror movie with not actually a lot of horror elements, at least not the traditional ones, but It is creepy, and it's especially suspenseful. A couple of the scenes, like uh, with the truck driver and the cop, it's just you you know something bad is going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. But it's also a fun movie. So again, these are the types of movies I really specialize here on Staff Picks. I recommend horror movies to people who don't really like horror movies. And this is one that I think could pass for that. Yes, I agree.
1: And I think... um... You know, and when we're talking about the good things about it, I mean, the pacing of this is a really good, you know, I'm, I'm very big on the pacing of a movie. I I don't like to see a three hour movie just to see a three hour movie. So the fact that this was an hour and a half, um, they could have, they could have padded it with another 10 minutes and I would have thought it was fine, but it was well paced. You didn't find yourself looking at your watch, which is good. Um. And then I would also say that, you know, they it's cast very well. You know, I think everybody does a good job in their roles.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are far worse ways to kill 90 minutes of your life than watching Vacancy. It's a it's a fun little popcorn movie. And again, it's not really offensive or bloody or especially, you know, like distasteful or any in any way. It's a, just a fun little popcorn movie. It's like Panic Room. That's the one I talked about earlier. It's another movie I'd like to uh, cover on Staff Picks one day.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I would recommend this one, too. I mean, don't go into And there's a lot of fun in going into watching a movie like this. This is the movie that you sit on the couch with three friends, and, and nobody gets all upset when somebody is, like, pointing out the plot holes or, you know, um, you know, you remember the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie Eraser?
0: Oh, of course. Yeah, with the, uh, the gun that shoots uh, pieces of metal at the speed of light.
1: Yes. And so... I watched that years ago with 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 a bunch of people there was one woman her name was Roberta I still remember that I haven't talked to her since she was pissing everybody off by pointing out that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make. Now she's wrestling alligators. Uh, you know, at one point Vanessa Williams like does like some roundhouse kick. She's she's like, I thought she was just some executive. How is she doing this? And everybody's like, shut up, Roberta. So that this is this is one of those movies that you need a Roberta for, who can just point out all the absurdities, and it's okay.
0: Yeah, again, you will not have a more sympathetic ear than me. I'm a mystery science theater guy. I I was raised on that kind of movie, so I totally understand that.
1: And if you want to play a drinking game with it, anybody who's watching, just do a drinking game, just take a drink anytime any character says, wait, wait here, and then they run off. It happens a lot. You will be hammered by the end of this movie.
0: Well, that's interesting considering there's only three characters in this movie that actually speak.
1: I know. Well, he leaves her... Again, marriage counseling will be like, and then you left me to run to the payphone when you knew that there was, I mean, she she has a lot of arguments. He has her weight there a lot.
0: Okay. Well, Steve, this has been so much fun. Uh, this is one of my favorite episodes I've done in recent memory. So I really want to thank you for stopping by. And I'm already planning the episode in my head where we watch Eraser in the future.
1: I am down for Eraser so much. I'm going to rewatch that now that we've mentioned it. Anyway,
0: so yes, I'll do that. All right, for people who have never seen Eraser, that's one of the lesser Schwarzenegger movies. Oh, no, it isn't. It's a fantastic. Okay, okay, fine. It's, it's one of the lesser-known Schwarzenegger movies where the bad guy has, what, a, uh, the rail gun that can shoot little pieces of metal at the speed of light? It's just, I mean, there's like falling out of airplanes. I mean, it's just great. So we're,
1: we're, that's our next one.
0: Okay. before we sign off, uh, anything you want to plug, anything else you're doing, anything you want people to be aware of in the world of Steve Helling? I would just say
1: follow me on Instagram. It's my name, Steve Helling. Don't even bother following me on Twitter because I haven't tweeted in months and I won't accept your Facebook request. So, um, yeah, Instagram is where where I do most of my stuff. And uh, basically, Instagram is pictures of me in the studio or pictures of me at the gym.
0: Excellent. And no, uh, no snuff films, right?
1: I mean, you know what? I, I am trying to build up my following, so maybe I should
0: work on that. I mean, that is a uh, an untapped market on Instagram, to be honest. It really
1: is. I mean, you know, I, I get that. I mean, we everybody watched Faces of Death in the 90s because that was what we did, everything. And I don't know that these snuff films on this movie that we just watched would have even r- risen to the level of being that, that interesting. So, um, you know, I, 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 I don't know that stuff films will work for me. It doesn't fit in with my brand. That's fine. To each his own. To each his own. But yeah, <laughs> let's do this again soon. I, I, this was a lot of fun.
0: Okay. And everybody, thank you for listening again. My name is Mario Lanza. This is staff picks. If you need to reach me, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. And until next time, I'll be out there searching for more horror movies that deserve more love, and I'll be telling my wife to wait here while I go running to safety. (laughs) Anyway, I'll talk to you guys later. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Hey, folks. How can I help?
1: Everything uh, okay back there? Oh. We just, we just go. It's okay. Sorry. <laughs> Things get a little boring around here late nights. <laughs> I believe that.